Hi, woman beings. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast. We're so excited you're here and especially excited for you to join us as we talk with Jared, who is the best. The best woman. He's also the first man that we've had on our podcast. Welcome. Go men. I have no idea why I'm here. Why am I here again? (laughs) He just wandered up and we were like looking for a guest. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. So Jared is a good friend of ours and um, a lover of the Lord, and you're also married to a man. What? <laughs> so we uh, have a full, interesting conversation ahead of us to talk about you and your life in the church and coming out as gay. And so starting out, I just wanted to ask the question, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to this place? Just give it like everyone who doesn't know you a little overview of kind of your story. Well, I am from the famous town now of Waco, Texas. Um, but when I was growing up, it was just boring old Waco. It was just Texas. Um, it was just Waco, Texas. It's like, get me out of here. And um, raised in a Christian home, mostly Southern Baptist with some charismatic influence. Um, and I knew from a small age I wanted to be a, was going to be a preacher and change the world. I used to flip my um, little uh, laundry basket and the piano bench and put a little blanket over it and make a podium and preach to my cat. Um, but... All of my childhood, um, I knew that I had the secret that I was holding on to and dealing with, and I prayed. I spent 20 years in and out of counseling, therapists, sozos, ministry, deliverance ministry, prayer lines, um, asking God to heal me, begging God to heal me, crying on the floor. Um, gosh, and it's unfortunately, it's a very common story. Um, then eventually moved to... Um, College, went to a Christian uh, charismatic college thinking that would heal me because I was going to be around more Christians and pray, prayed and that didn't work. And then went to more counseling and that didn't work. Then I went to ministry school and that didn't work. And so I finally, after 20 something, 27 years, um, I decided it was time to move on with my life. Um, but coming out was a process. It was super hard for me because it meant letting go of something I had believed God for for 20 plus years it was like a watching a dream die um, it, was, it was super painful um, in fact when I was uh, in counseling at one point after that I had a therapist say the way you're describing your journey to acceptance is like the five stages of grief like you had to deny it and then go through the anger of because I, I remember being a super angry when I was finally just, I was mad at God. I was mad at the church. I was like, why didn't this work? Why didn't, you know, because at first you're like, I'm a failure. It's me. I didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you move from that to, um, you know, sadness and then, you know, forgiveness. I mean, I had to forgive myself. I had to forgive the fact that I couldn't fix it or forgive God. Because, you know, even though God is perfect, our, our, our view of him or what we hold against him often is skewed. And so we have to forgive that image of him. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was not a quick process. It was a quite a long process. And 
eventually, um, I came out and um, I met my husband on a film set, and he was a PA, and I was doing a bed scene with my wife. <laughs> Ironic. And uh, I just met the girl that day. We didn't do anything to her. Don't worry. We, was just, we were just sleeping. Um, and we're shooting in this Ethan Allen closed down. And my husband is, is well, at the time, was not my husband. I just met, met the guy. But I was Mary Smitten. And he would, we had to go to sleep. And the camera would roll. And the camera was, like, right close to our face. And every time he, they would call action, I have to close my eyes. He'd run somewhere in the middle of Ethan Allen and find some random object to have when I called action to be behind the camera holding. So, like, a pair of fruit suddenly just appears. All of a sudden, he has a cup of tea that didn't have had before. And it was this dry humor that began to, like, make me, you know, f- fall in love with him. Um, and so, yeah, I never thought I would do it. But a few years later, at uh, 28 years old, I got married. And um, it's been a journey to continue to keep your love on towards the church and also to be a bridge to the LGBT um, because I feel like there's a definite injustice on both ends of the spectrum there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm 31 now, so there we are. <laughs> You've been married for three years? Yeah, yeah. we're in our fourth year. Mm-hmm. Wow. So wh- how, how did people react then when you came out? Because you, you were like a chaplain, and mm-hmm. you had mm-hmm. people, like many people under you that you mentored and, mm-hmm. and all of that, and your family. Like, what happened? I mean, I think my closest family, my, f- my mother and my siblings, weren't surprised. Um, my mother cried the first time and said, you're never going to have any kids. I was like, mom, you know that we can adopt. It's not the same. And, and, um, and I had a certain people that just kind of stopped, just kind of like slowly disappeared into the darkness. Like they just stopped talking to me. Like they didn't say anything negative or positive. It just kind of disappeared. And then I had certain people that were just like, I can't, like, I thought you were, you know, this is the kind of person that you were. Like, I really, you know, I don't understand. Like, I thought, you know, you were so you know, set on this being the right thing and, you know, kind of betrayed. And then, you know, they say, okay, we're, you know, it's okay. I still love you. But then they would just completely stop relationship. And so, um, yeah, I mean, and then I had some people who literally just was like, okay. And we went on, like, it was like, we, she was like, do you want order pizza? And it was just kind of the end (laughs) of the conversation. Um, but I've also had certain people that I knew it bothered, but they refused to stop love and, those people, I was just like, I, I found myself coming up to think, hey, let's talk about it. Like, let's, what do you, do you have questions? And one of the major questions I had from one of my good friends is I, I we were in his enormous granny van with all of his children. <laughs> and I could tell it was bothering him. And I said, what's going on? And he said, um, I just want to know, can I still pray for you? And I was like, of course you can keep praying for me. And he kind of looked at me and he goes, Okay, I'm fine then. And I feel like the reality is that so many people that come out also they, they pick up bitterness and rebellion, and so they're and they're angry and they're entitled, and so they're like nobody's gonna force me back into that hole. They're not gonna force back in that closet. They're almost angry because they fought their way out of it, and so they actually shut people off from being able to love or minister or speak in their lives. And it's like that that you know. And so I think that's what he was looking for. He's like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to be able to have the same relationship where we get to speak into each other's lives? And I was like, that's not changing. Um, so that was, that was important. That has to have been hard, though, like coming out of that and feeling all of the feels and, you know, processing pain and being wrapped up in this thing that you've loved for so long and then kind of finally deciding to leave but also being kicked out a little bit mm-hmm. and then but also being pulled back in like how did you 
manage the the anger. So I had a really wise mentor say to me, um, I was in her office um, one day, and she goes, whatever you do, Jared, don't stop talking to God. Get angry at him, yell at him, cuss him out, scream at him. Whatever it is, just don't stop talking to him because that is your lifeline. And I learned to process with God and at God, but I never stopped talking to him. And I think that when we stop talking to him because we need quote unquote space from the creator of the universe, the life force of all of our being, we have cut ourselves off from the very healing power himself. There is no time away from God. And so for me, even though I was angry, I mean, I remember I did so many, I do drive and yells. That's what I call them. I'd get in the car and yell at God and just drive up in the mountains when we lived in Northern California. And I would just yell at God and I would process about the time I finished, I would come down to that place. Like David's like, I was, I came to that place where I was like anger, angry. And then I eventually strengthened myself in the Lord because that's the thing is in the end of the day, somewhere deep down, I knew that God wasn't going to abandon me, even though I didn't have theology to back it up at the time. So, yeah, that was, but you know, it's interesting. People ask, ask me about coming out. It's like, you have to come out to yourself too, which is a really weird thing because you think, well, you came out to other people, then you came out to yourself. And it's like, really, it's not the same. And I, I you never really understand how to explain that to anyone, except for if someone has gone through it, they understand is that you have told yourself it's actually, there's actually a term for it in psychology. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically internal, internal is homo, homophobia. Like basically you're, you have told yourself to be afraid of it. So you're actually like self-sabotaging it. Um, I can't remember the psychological term for it, but basically, um, I remember where I was when I finally said it out loud. I, we, Josh and I had been dating for a, a six months when I finally came out of myself. It was like, wow. duh. Um, and I pulled into our ghetto apartment. We lived in this rundown apartment in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I pulled into the driveway and I said, fine, I'm gay. God, did you hear that? I am. I've done it. I'm done. This is it. I'm done. I'm gay. And God, I waited. I waited. I'm thinking of this big moment where God's going to be like, you are my son, my beloved son, who I'm well pleased. And you're, or Jared, I love you or whatever. And he was like, all right, well, you can't be offended. I was like, what? I mean, excuse me. Like, Lord, what? I'm like, I'm human. What do you, what do you mean? And like, I mean, I'm going to have offense in life. And he's like, Listen, you can do what you want, but you can't be. But if you want to change the world, you can't be offended. Mm-hmm. And that that message has changed my life because the reason that that my husband and I have been able to continue to be a bridge in the LGBT in the church is because we didn't pick up offense. Mm-hmm. You can be hurt, you can have your feelings hurt, you can be wounded, but offense is a choice. Mm-hmm. Wounds are not a choice. Pain is not a choice, but offense is a choice, and offense always leads to hatred which leads to death and there is no life in offense and not saying that i haven't had offense and plenty of opportunities glorious opportunities to pick up offense mm-hmm. but i have to but i often notice immediately when i've gone from being hurt to being offended because i start feeling nauseous and sick because i have no grace to carry offense and so it just like there's no nothing on me and i'm like ooh, i've stepped over mm-hmm. and that's been a life-changing thing for us because that's why people are always like you guys are so different i'm like because we just don't pick up offense and it sucks sometimes. It's harder to do relationship. Mm. So that's um, an interesting spin. So, like, when you're choosing to not pick up a fence, I'm curious to know when you came out, mm-hmm. like, do you feel like that changed your role as a leader in ministry or that you were treated differently? And what did that look like? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, 
I was in leadership and then all of a sudden I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's taken until actually recently for me to finally realize I need to quit asking for permission mm-hmm. to be a leader because that's what God made me. And I think I was waiting for the church to reinstate me. And instead of being a leader that I was and, um, yeah, I mean, what happened is, and this is, you know, and, you know, God kept saying, let them come to you. And so we you know we had leaders that stopped talking to us or backed away from us. And they, they expected us to start create, creating this fruit of just being, you know, hoes, just mm-hmm. sleeping with every man, suddenly being for everything that, that LGBT represents and being angry and bitter and stop, you know, living monogamous. And like, there was all kinds of like expectations. And then as we went around and that didn't happen and we were still prophetic and we still love the Lord and we still led worship and we still prayed and we still interceded and like the, the fruit of our lives began to speak for us and people began to come back and say, Oh wow, you haven't changed. You are the same. And I was like, I, and I, and I understand what they're referring to because there are a lot of people who go come out and they mm-hmm. pick up that agenda. They pick up that propaganda of the LGBT and, and, and they actually, because, because they pick up a fence, they begin to build a, case against the church Mm -hmm. and by doing so they actually cut themselves off from god himself Mm -hmm. and so for us it's been a slow process and i've gotten you know you know i've got friends or friends or family friends that will be like hey would you come do a sozo with so-and-so would you come help me do it you know help this person with this and so ministry has found a way anyway Mm -hmm. to get through um because you know my grandma's always said like you know your gifts will make a way for you Mm -hmm. and so i am a leader and i am called to help people and so people naturally come to you whether Mm -hmm. they fit into the mold of the church Mm -hmm. or not yeah it makes me think of um we had lana cruz on a little bit ago and uh, she talked about how uh when she realized that she wanted to lead within the church um she had to make that space for herself um and i think that with people that the church has sort of written off which is whether it's women in leadership or being gay and being in leadership in the church. Like, I think that um, there's that similarity of like, the church isn't going to ask you to come forward. You have to, you have to make that space for yourself and say like, Hey, God has given me these gifts and these abilities and I'm going to use them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. So, yeah. yeah. Super good. And well, I, you, you've told me before about kind of like sitting in your car after the aftermath of this and, Knowing there's other people in the church that are struggling or, or dealing with the same sort of same-sex attraction, confusion, but, like, remaining in leadership for not being honest and you yeah. kind of feeling like, yep. I did the right thing and I feel like I was punished. Can you tell that story? Oh, man. Um, so when I did decide to come out, um, or I, I kind of did it in stages. The first time I did, um, I was in school of ministry. I was in um, <clears throat> second year, and I was asked to leave. Um, I was actually asked to go through a program and to get better and then come back to school the second year. And I did. I went through the program for a year and a half. And afterwards, I just became angry because it didn't work. And I was like, I have submitted myself to every leader I can possibly do all of my life. And it's not worked. Um, and I don't think that they did it. I, I, again, this is, I definitely want to say this. Like, they did it with the right heart. I think their intentions are, are good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of, you know, the nature of this whole thing is that people don't understand. They have no idea. Um and so, yeah, I remember sitting in a cafe shortly after I had decided to come out of leadership um, or to come out and watching people drive up to a conference that I was supposed to be a part of in leadership and 
be just sitting in my journal and just crying because I was like, God, I feel like I'm being punished for telling the truth when I know people who are in leadership who are actually in the closet because I have stories of people that have actually slept with them who are continuing to be rewarded because they are lying about who they are and they are lying about what they're doing in private and they're putting on the face and they're and they're they're doing the quote unquote Christian thing and now I'm being punished and feeling super alone and lonely and feeling like man did I lose did I do the wrong did I make the wrong choice should I have contended you know yeah yeah I can't imagine the just like the amount of pain and and frustration in walking through that you know like feeling like there's this this thing this this part of you that you're you're asking God over and over to change asking for this to be different and you're being told over and over again that you're bad because of this Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that I just I can't imagine what that would be like um and how you would even like reconcile like how how did you wind up then like reconciling uh your your sexuality with this deep belief that you had that you had and do have in god like um what did it look like to to now um walk as a believer um and find a way to walk in holiness when you're you're living in a way that people have said is not holy your whole life Mm -hmm. um so a really big helper was a book called God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. Um, he is a Harvard grad that that uh, grew up in the South as well. Um, and basically, <clears throat> he went on a journey with his dad to figure it out. He said, we're going to solve this once and for all. And it's it's he took a lot of insane church theology and theology and church history and basically made it, dumbed it down, like, you know, summarized it for the layman to read. And... I read the very beginning of it, and he talks about, Jesus talks about how, you know, you'll know them by their fruit. And he said, for neither a good tree can produce bad fruit or a bad tree produce good fruit. And the Lord said to me, you are a good tree. And I bawled my eyes out in my living room because it was like, oh, I've been told all this time that I'm, a, that I'm producing bad fruit, mm-hmm. but I can't be a good tree and produce bad fruit. And I can't be a bad tree and produce good fruit. So the fruit of my life would have to come from a good tree because either I am bad and I can't produce good fruit, which means everything I've done is a lie. All the ministry I did, everything God did through me is a lie or I am a good tree. And it's, you know, it's, it's in a lot of things I did have to decide there's mystery. The reality is the more I've studied scripture, the more I've studied church history, there, it's not black and white. Mm-hmm. Not saying that you can't, you can't dismiss it altogether or you couldn't dismiss it on either side. But what I have noticed is that there is a gray area and there's a place where God just, you know, doesn't have, we don't have all the answers. You know, there's, there are people that are born with dis, disform, you know, disfigurations and, and different things, but they're not in sin because they don't have an arm or a leg. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was God's absolute best originally for every person to be with a man and a woman for procreation. But then every person who's married and doesn't have a baby when they have sex is then in violation of that, that commandment. And a person who gets married and doesn't have kids ever violates that commandment. Because if the only reason for marriage is to procreate, then half the women in America are in trouble. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we put that on the gay community. We say, well, it's not Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve. It's like, well, that's great. Thank you for (laughs) that useless (laughs) comment. Um, So, and if you study study actual church history on the uh, story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it does not refer to same-sex 
attraction. They were actually trying to rape everyone in that village. There was a lot of more evil going on in that town um, because we know that same story is told similarly in the book of Judges where there's the same situation that happens again. Um, and they do let the servants outside and they rape them to death. And the, the, they have a daughter and a male servant. They do that too. And, you know, it's... Again, the sin of Sodom is mentioned like 40 plus times in the Old Testament, and only like three of those are mentioned sexual sin, and the rest are all referring to their treatment of strangers. Mm -hmm. So not saying you can't completely throw it out, but, you know, at some point, you know, people have asked me, well, were you born this way? Do you believe God made you this way? And I'm like, you know, at this point it's irrelevant because I am. Whether I was born this way, whether I went through a chemical bath one day and I got it, or the frogs, right, exactly, (laughs) or the frogs turned me gay. Um, (laughs) Or I was situation turned me that way. The reality is there is no evidence on either end to prove whether it was born, whether it was taught, whether it was environment, because they've done a million studies on people who are twins and one of them's gay and one's not. It's like, okay, well, is that environment? Well, no. Then it's DNA. Well, crap. Um, but the thing is, it's not cut and dry. And so I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm not here to, to try to win your theology. I'm not trying to, to win you over what I am. My goal is to saying that the only sin that sends you to hell is the sin of denying Jesus. And if we're all fighting to love Jesus and be loved by him, is that not what we're called to do? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we should ignore all the other moral laws of the scripture because I think it's super important that we live in morality and I think that's where I differ from people that are just like well just love me I'm like well but you're also living like a little hoe and like you should probably stop that (laughs) those are the words of Jesus living like a little hoe listen you little hoe Mary Magdalene I'm just kidding (laughs) Jesus didn't say that if you've never read the Bible that's not in there I can't find that anywhere But what he came after, what he was after, was the heart. Mm -hmm. And people found that when they left him, they changed. And they stopped doing some of the sins because they met love. They didn't meet religion. They didn't meet a practical list of rules. They didn't meet the Pharisees. They met Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I am a firm believer that, as the scripture says, that God is able to handle his own servants. And we, if we are willing to be, you know, subjected submitted to god that he will bring to light what things need to change and i put that before the lord for 30 plus years and i don't feel convicted mm-hmm. i once i got rid of the religious voice in my head i didn't mm-hmm. you know it's like i don't feel good about being with somebody and not being married that, that i definitely felt guilty about having sex outside of marriage but when i was once i was married that went away as you were talking i was like having this flashback to when i did co-op for homeschool kids that is class one day a week with other people, so you socialize. Um, and we had a speech class. And at the end of the year, all the kids that took that class for whatever it was like freshman year for me, I think, um, got up and, and did a speech that they memorized. And I did uh, Lincoln's second inaugural address. And this, this guy who was in my co-op, who everyone made assumption that he was gay, turns out I mean he was flamboyant and he did ballet he was very good he was a very kind human um uh, and he did come out later but he got up and did a Susan B. Anthony speech which I honestly it, it made me so happy and like I loved it but I noticed the second he got up and did his speech all the dads in the audience like 
rolled their eyes, crossed their arms. But you saw like a visible, like I am closed off to you. And even at that age, at 14, and being raised conservative, all the things, I was like, there's something really wrong about this picture. And it's actually just so disrespectful. And I'm curious to know if that is... Is that common? Is that something you experience? Do you feel people like close off like that and just automatically make assumptions about you based on how they might see you, hear you? I don't know what I'm trying to fully verbalize. (laughs) I'm just like, that was really wrong. And I'm wondering if something, if that's kind of the behavior of just the church in general. Yeah, I mean, I think being raised in... Texas, absolutely. Um, but I, you know, I was, I'm also an actor and I worked really hard to mimic straight men. And so I had people who were completely caught off guard that I came out. They were like, what? And I was like, where have you been? Under a rock? And then I had other, you know, people were like, honey, we've done your whole life, you know? And so, um, but I also came from an old, a different generation. I think my age group, my dad was an all, was really good at sports and, you know, super macho man. And so he taught us how to fight. And so there was, you know, this is right before they started changing all the rules in schools. Back in seventh grade, this kid pushed me in the lockers because he called me gay and I beat him up. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> gay kids are beating people up. <laughs> so nobody messed with me again. So they probably thought it. They probably talked behind my back. Um... But I really, I, I, that stopped the bullying for the most part for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had people I can tell make assumptions about me mm-hmm. when they met me, but it also getting to a point in my life where I don't care mm-hmm. because I know who I am and I know whose I am. And coming into a room, what I think it does is it actually disarms people because they're like, oh crap, like he is who he is like oh my gosh his person his his his, it's it's a lot and and like but he is fully him and i think it's it 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 does two things it exposes insecurity to other people and causes them either to rise to the occasion or to walk away Mm -hmm. because when people are fully themselves you're you're going to a room you're like oh my god i want to be a friend like they're super like they're so themselves. They're just like mm-hmm. fully in themselves. Like they just like planted. They're super peaceful. It's like they're just happy to be themselves. You don't want to be their best friend. You're going crap. It makes me feel super insecure about myself. Like those two things. And I feel like at the beginning it was like oh crap. I don't. That's how I felt constantly. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like why can't I just be fully myself? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean being gay. That just means being Jared. And Jared happens to be gay. Mm-hmm. I'll never, and something that's super important is I'll never take on that identity because it's never going to be my identity. My identity will always be a son. Mm-hmm. My identity will always be being a husband or being a person or being a man or being a human. It's never going to be a gay mm-hmm. person. I just happen to be gay. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very unique perspective compared to a lot of what, um, a lot of what I hear from like the LGBTQ plus community. Um, Oh, so much of it is this is this is my identity. This is all of who I am. Like everything that I do comes from this one characteristic, this one part mm-hmm. of myself. Um, so, like, do you? I'm I'm curious. Like, do you see sort of like I don't know, like pushback from the gay community oh, in yeah. that? 
Well, that's a that's a I think it's an extreme swing. I think that's a rebellion. I heard it years ago that the feminist movement originally had good intentions, but it happened out of rebellion against men, and it should have been men letting letting women out of prison. Like it should have been the men of repenting, and it should have been different. I think it's an extreme. I think it's an extreme reaction. I think that they have been so hate self hating to themselves. Like I said, that internalized homophobia that they created themselves. It's like. I have to be so loud about my acceptance of myself. Otherwise, I won't even believe it. Like, you're going you're going to. I'm going to force you to love me. I'm going to force you to accept me. Instead of being like, I don't need you to love me in order for me to be okay. I don't need you because, because when we step out of that identity with God, mm-hmm. it becomes the same thing. Like, while we know there's been people who have abused Sozo, there's some really great principles about the father ladder and being daddy giving identity, father God giving identity. When we step outside of trying to find it anywhere else, the LGBT, marriage, your husband, your wife, your, what you do, who you are, it will always fall short. Mm-hmm. And then you're always trying to compensate proving that's enough. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's what that is. I think that's a overreaction. And what I usually do with those kind of people when I'm around them, I just love them. I just be like, Oh, and I just live myself not being that way. And what they what I'm noticing is that people start mimicking your piece. They start picking up. Oh, well, you don't seem to be screaming about it. Like, I mean, do I make jokes? I'm like, well, it's because I'm gay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. When June comes around, I'm like, gay day. It's all mine. I get whatever I want. It's my month. It's, it's, it's gay pride. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I got abused a little bit. I went through something, so. <laughs> so then... I'm curious to know, um, as we talk about, you know, coming out and being in church leadership, I really want to know what is the church's biggest opportunity um, when it comes to pastoring the LGBTQ plus community? Like, Mm -hmm. where have we failed and where do we need to grow? So I write this in my book. I'm writing a book right now called Do We Learn to Love? But I talk about this. and I've had this conversation with many church leaders. I say, let's, let's, let's do a scenario. Let's pretend that you're right, that it's sin. Let's all agree in this scenario that it's sin. And let's also agree in this scenario that the power of God and the love of God changes you. And it can heal you, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if that's true, why the heck is the doors of the church wide open and sticking those gay people right at the front where the most of the presence and the, and the person, the community of God is changing them? But the reality is we don't actually believe what we preach. We actually expect people to change outside of the church, which is never apply. That's what Jesus said is that you bring people in to be changed. Mm-hmm. The reality is we, 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 we don't see the LGBT changing in the church. They've tried and it's not happening because it's not fixable. And so instead of accepting that as a church, they've said, well, we're just going to kick you out and keep pretending that it's not real. Mm-hmm. But we have to actually repent. We have to actually go, wow, well, we may not have all the answers. We don't even have to accept it, but we have to realize that there's some definitely some unanswered questions or there's some lack of evidence. And there have some, been some in, interesting, questionable movements that have happened. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> claiming people have been healed, but then those same people come out later or I catch them with somebody I know, or, I mean, there's, I've got too many stories, unfortunately, to, to invalidate. I mean, Exodus was famous for that for how long? And then the, and then they basically, people were more harmed than good. That's why they're trying to get rid of like conversion therapy because people are not healed. Um, and so I think the church's biggest opportunity is, is just, is to be humble and be like, Hey, we don't have all the answers. We're not willing to ha- yet, or even maybe ever to say we're, com- that it's ever right. But we are willing to say that our church belongs to you as well. Like mm-hmm. the doors belong to you. 
Because what we, Josh and I have found often is like when we want to go to church, it's like people, people are like, oh, where do you go to church? I'm like, go to this church down here street where they're super accepting. I'm like, well, they're also accepting of everything that's not even scripture. Mm-hmm. So you always have that like, well, we can go to church where, they, where we're accepted. We can hold hands in public. Or, and absolutely preach nothing we can get anything out of. Mm-hmm. Or we can go to church where they don't agree with us and we have to pretend. And it's like always that grind of like, which one do you want? Do you want to hide and get some get fed? Or do you want to be accepted? And I'm just like, why do I have to? I, I believe the same way as, as this church does. And I'm standing here and I'm praying for X, Y, and Z. And I'm believing God for this. And I'm giving and I'm tithing and I'm a part of a community and trying to live right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the biggest issue is that it's 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 really, it's an, it's an oxymoron because the church really doesn't believe. Because mm-hmm. if they did, they would fling the doors open. Mm-hmm. I think, what, what do you think about this? There's the Jackie Hill Perry's Gay Girl, Good God. There's kind of this new movement mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. where Christian LGBTQ plus people are coming out and being like, I am gay, but I am going to live a celibate life or mm-hmm, I am going to mm-hmm, live, mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to marry someone of the opposite sex anyways. And mm-hmm. look, we have kids and look how beautiful they are mm-hmm. and my life is good. And I'm not invalidating that. Right. At all. I'm, I'm saying, like, I think I think sexuality, one of the beautiful things about it is I think we have, we can, we can choose to live our lives the way we choose. But what do you think about that? Like, is that damaging to, like, your psyche to, to go opposite of what, I don't know, the design is? Or, like... Yeah. What your, like, sort of inherent desire is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I... I mean, to, to each their own. Um, I remember, um, I was working at a place a few years ago and when I first started working there, there was a guy in the office and I was like, oh my God, he's totally gay. But immediately I noticed that on his desk was his Bible and his journal. This is not a Christian place either. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I already got you pinned. Like you're playing the game. You're, you're, you're getting healed. God's going to heal you. And I would find evidence to the contrary of things that, you know, social media, things like that. And everyone was just like, oh, I don't think he is. He's dating a girl. And I'm like, honey, my guitar is on. And then he eventually marries a woman. And I walked into the office one day and I was just like, I saw him as desk and I was just like, my, my immediate flesh was like, I can't believe you. You're playing this game. And the Lord spoke to me. He goes, don't you dare judge his devotion to me. And I was like, oh, he goes, I loved you and respected you when you made that choice. And I loved you and respected you when you made this choice. It's between me and him. You respect, don't you dare judge his devotion to me. And I was like, oh. And it was just kind of like, I was, I had to repent right there because I was sitting there just kind of like, well, you know, because he thinks this is what's, he is trying to serve the Lord. He is trying to do what's right. And I think that that's ultimately, I've, I've said this before, is like Paul says it very clearly. Like, we see through the glass dimly. That has not changed. Mm-hmm. It won't change until we see Jesus. And, and it says, no one has seen God. Like the reality is we see the glass dimly. And if that's true, then 90% or whatever percentage of what we see is not really completely, it's not a complete picture. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of us are going to get to heaven and go, oh, well, I was wrong. And God's like patting you on the back. He's like, she was wrong too. And that one was wrong over there. And she thought that. And so-and-so thought this. And can you believe he thought that? Yeah. God's laughing and he's like, that was the funniest story I've ever heard. That's crazy. And I really, I feel like the Lord told me one time, I, I, maybe he told, didn't tell me, but maybe I made it up. But he was like, Jerry, you're all going to get to heaven. And I'm going to pat you on the head and say, you guys are all so cute and I love you, but you're all wrong. You were all wrong. <laughs> Every one of you got it wrong, but you tried. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. 
that's important. I think like in the church, we're trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong, which is important, mm-hmm. but we forget mm-hmm. like, okay, are you seeking after the heart of God? Yeah. Are you, are these people, are we creating space for people, whether they're gay mm-hmm. or not? Are we creating space for them to, to really seek the Lord mm-hmm. as they sort through this yeah. thing that is our messy life and it's our messy. sinfulness and all those things. It's like, w- there's no space to, to be anything but perfect sometimes. And I mean, on the other side I mean, of the I point, am perfect, so. Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> the exception. There, there's also just the fact that like, um, why is being gay so bad when like it's okay if you yeah. smoke right, or right. you know yeah. you look at porn or whatever like why is it the thing yeah yeah i think because it's the only what well, not the term sin i guess we can use the term sin for the sake of the arc the argument that is tied to someone's being like the more we study sexuality the more we realize it's like such a part of our humanness mm-hmm. that the enemy really goes after it. I think he purposely turns the church against people like that because it's, it's not, we can't do anything about that part of it. It's like it's so deep and there's not it's not like a broken leg that we can put a brace on. Like it, you can't find that sexuality in you. It's not like, oh, it's on my left nipple. Like you don't know where it is. It's just in you, like anyone's sexuality. Because people always ask me, well, when did you know you're gay? And I said, well, when did you know you're straight? And they kind of look at me. I'm like, well, you can't name a time because mm-hmm. we're supposed to all know. Well, it was actually January 4th, 1974. <clears throat> you're not, you are not alive. I know. I knew. No, that was when. That was long before mom. I was born. Yeah. Was a little okay. It is almost told, like, your testimony, like, I came to the Lord on... Oh, know, I don't remember what I had to say. People always say... Like, whatever. Right. But it's like, yeah. I was like, I realized I was gay on the eve of yes. Halloween night. I was walking down the streets and a man had two tied-up pants on and I was like, I am gay. <laughs> <laughs> Martha Stewart had just come on the TV and I was like I want to watch her I want to watch her but there I mean, there probably is like a, a level of like admitting it to yourself well, maybe yeah. that, yeah, yeah. and that's For sort sure. of like the For narrative sure. that happens is like I remember moment. where I was I can't tell you what year it was I can probably figure it out yeah like mm-hmm. where I was I remember where we were living and I remember the conversation with God but um I mean, that's, that's you talk about the most damaging thing. You know, I've done research personally, uh, being in grad school, about the, uh, the LGBT Christian suicide rate is higher than the normal LGBT suicide rate. We're actually harming them more by saying God doesn't love you unless you do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And even if you decide to finally come out, there's so much to unravel and to deal with because you've been telling yourself for however many years um, that you aren't good enough or this isn't good enough until you become this, until you do X, Y, and Z. Like, there's a whole lot of damage that you've done and your inner child's been damaged mm-hmm. and you've done self-destructive wise to yourself that has to be undone even if, and some people are always like, well, they're so, you know, they're so messy or like they're so broken. I'm like, yeah, because we poured, you know, boiling oil on them while they were like, hey, I'm in pain yeah. and, you know, why aren't you better? And it's like, I still got things to work on. I still have to work through self-love. Like it's hard enough for any of us who don't have any of the sexuality issues to self-love. We all struggle with being feeling like we're enough. Now add on top of it, you're not enough because you can't change your sexuality. Right. Yeah. Oh, and figure which, out how to change it. Where's the button? Which makes it so much more weird that we've set up all these like prerequisites right. and fix it and figure it out, and then you can come to church. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like that is so backwards Mm. like it's so backwards and it's so weird and it's like no nowhere else 
really i mean like kelly you mentioned like smoking or mm-hmm. porn and i mean porn's a little different but like yeah, porn nowhere porn. else are we seeing like fix it and then you can come like it's yeah. it's very weird that we have this like social expectation in the church, but you're but you're putting you're nailing, uh, you're hitting the head of the actual bigger problem. The bigger problem is that we absolutely have no idea how to walk in grace for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't give anything away we don't have. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there is an, over ninety percent of the men in the church struggle with porn. Ninety percent, which means that most of the people, including your pastor, are doing it. Mm-hmm. So how are they come? How are they going to come in and create a culture of freedom? Mm-hmm. And helping other people when they actually don't have any ability to deal with their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it has to do with all this transparency, this BS, this... And, our, and the beautiful thing about the church right now is that, you know, there's a changing of ranks. That old generation is leaving and our generation and the, the millennial generation is starting to step into those higher places in church. And the church uh, culture is changing. Mm-hmm where we are being transparent, where people are starting to own their stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we're going become therapies becoming less stigmatized. And like, we're, we're, we're starting to like deal with that. Our grandparents didn't go to therapy mm-hmm. no. and <laughs> our parents barely went. Yeah. And so, and they're, they're going now because we're like, yeah. mom, go to therapy. <laughs> yes, actually. Do you think I should go? <laughs> yes, you should. My parents now go to therapy. Right. I'm exactly. very proud. Right. Exactly. So it's like, but it took us going, there's something wrong here. I don't like pretending to be fake. I don't like this isn't real. Like my sister is a youth pastor in Texas and she, she was doing research and she was like noticing that they were talking about the fact that, um, our generation, um, basically says like we want to go to church but we want an experience mm-hmm. like we want more but the gen is it gen z the new one mm-hmm. we'll not go to church unless there's an encounter they want nothing else mm-hmm. like they're done with the fake like they, they don't want routine they don't want religion like they're like and so like she said the pressure was on like to create this place where god is you know she's like was fasting and working all this stuff and she i was like well we shouldn't we shouldn't shouldn't go to church without an encounter we should be having but we have to carry encounter and we also have to like put our pride aside and say, look, I'm broken. You're broken. Mm-hmm. We have, but let's go together to the one we know who's, mm-hmm. who's, who's the healer, who's mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think that, like I said, you know, the Pharisees, who knows how many of those Pharisees, when they were throwing the stone to the woman, who, what they had done. I always ask the question, where the heck is the man? Mm-hmm. No one comments. Even when they tell the story in yeah. church, no one comments about the man. I was like, it takes two yeah. to have sex. Unless she was doing something inappropriate with the stone or something back in the Iraq ages. I don't know. <laughs> the Rock Ages. You know, the Stone Ages. Uh, Bible times. Yeah. Bible time. Bible yeah, times. I mean that's that's so true. Like the 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 woman who's caught in adultery is the, the woman, one who gets right. called out. Where's the man? And, and the man is dragged not. out by mm-hmm. other men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And who probably all have had an affair. Well yeah. And I think that that like and that's exactly the culture of church that Jesus condemns mm-hmm. and Jesus mm-hmm. says well if you can throw the first stone then you then I don't know that's <laughs> I just got hit by emotion Wh- with that whichever of you without saying right. should throw the first stone yeah none of us right we're all guilty mm-hmm. yeah and I mean when I like I think regardless of what you think about being gay and Mm -hmm. as a Christian hearing a statistic like committing suicide Mm -hmm. coming out of the church and being told that they're wrong like that's not okay 
you know? And, um, <laughs> like, that's a problem. <laughs> like, there's there should be no joy in the loss of a human life. Right, right. Whether you think that they're wrong, mm-hmm. whether you think that what they're doing is wrong, or that their desires are wrong, like, that is someone that God made mm-hmm. and that God loves. And so that person doesn't deserve to die, you know? No. When are we really doing our due diligence to look out for the well-being of people yeah. if if that's the fruit of of our but that's the pharisee spirit the pharisee spirit had no problem killing someone over being right yeah. that's what jesus was after it was like oh that spirit is not of me yeah because it yeah. was being after being right for the sake of at the hands of murder yeah for and um i mean they're also like Three times, three to five times more likely to be homeless because parents will throw them on the street when they come out um, for the sake of God. And I mean, there's 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 horrible statistics. And then they're more likely to commit suicide because they're 30, 50 percent more likely to commit suicide because they've been put homeless because they've been kicked out. Mm-hmm. Like n- not even just the church, but also the statistics in Christian homes. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely like I said, why are we not going? Oh my God, we're letting people die. Yeah. Like for the sake of being right. Yeah. You're even if you're not throwing physical stones, mm-hmm, you're still mm-hmm, mm-hmm. throwing stones, yes. you know. Then that makes you ask like one that reveals the where our hearts are really right. at. Mm-hmm. But two, like do we actually ha- do we know God? If if you if you feel right. like that's what he wants and that's what's right, do you actually know him? Right. Have you had an encounter with love? Do you love yourself? Have you experienced forgiveness? Because you're not actually implementing that forgiveness to those that need your support probably the most. Yeah, I think it's just really sad the way that the church has navigated this and um, failed to recognize the mystery of it and the, the gray areas of it and all of the people that have fallen victim to that. Um, And my question for you is regarding like conversion therapy, which is not quite conversion therapy in the church, but you've experienced Mm -hmm. kind of like a, you know, five-step program sort of situation. What what was your experience like and what do you think? Um, What I continue to hear from most people in my experience congeals with this is that as long as you're doing it, you're, you're, accepted like as long as you're following the rules of the therapy and like you're quote-unquote submitted to it like then everyone's your friend they're like oh they're okay with you struggling that's the term in the church you can struggle you just can't ever own it as long as you're struggling and it creates this like limbo you live in or you don't ever start your life i remember it's like i remember like when i uh, i finally came out i was like i breathed out for the first time i held my breath for years going as soon as when i when i get healed when i get healed and it just turned into months and years and it was just like and so as soon as I decided that that wasn't working for me, everyone, like, all of a sudden it was like they just turned evil eyes and, like, were like, sorry, you can't, you can't sit with us, like me and girls. <laughs> they didn't say that you can't sit with us, but it was like, you can't sit with us. Yeah. So, um, and it was like I, I, I was completely baffled um, by all of a sudden it was like just to turn. It was like, oh, wait, I thought you guys cared about me. Like, well, you know, because when I decided to walk away, they were like, hey – you know, we, we, can we pray for you? Like, cool. And then the moment I came to have a relationship with every single one of them and stopped talking to me. And it was like, oh, there was a club and I guess I'm not in it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my experience mm-hmm. with the with 
programs. And, mm. and what about other people that you know? Like, these things have been reported to be very, very harmful. And in what ways are they most harmful, do you think? Well, the movie Boy Erased, if you have not seen it, um, is super heavy. But it's based on a real story. It's a real guy who wrote a book um, called Boy Erased. And um, it came out about two years ago. Um, and it's this story of conversion therapy. So it's hard to put into words. Like I personally, like my parents put me in counseling. They didn't put me in conversion mm-hmm. therapy, thank God. But it was definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I, I don't personally know anyone who like went to that type of conversion therapy, but I have heard horror stories. Mm-hmm. So it is, the, that kind of conversion therapy is incredibly toxic and super, yeah. There's, there's no life in that. It's definitely damaging the psyche. They try to, like, beat it out of you. It tries, you know, they put, it just basically take everything that's pleasurable about life away from you and put you, like, in a cell and basically try to, like, isolate you to get it out of you. And if you show any signs of any kind of sexual person, you're just beaten, basically. That's, like, <clears throat> wild to me because when you, like, it sounds like the way that, um, like mental institutions were run in a hundred years ago. Like there were tons of women actually who were placed into mental institutions because they were quote unquote hysterical and they were like given, you know, like ice baths and, and like essentially waterboarded and, and, um, punished essentially it's mm-hmm. it's torture. almost like a, it's a yeah. torture <laughs> chamber and then yeah. they're thinking that that's going to somehow heal them and this is like this has been written off as a as a bad way right. for um people to deal with mental health and yet like we're we've heard of very similar things happening in this conversion therapy mm-hmm. like what would make people think that that would work you mm-hmm. know Oh, More yeah. recently than 100 years ago, too, like the 50s. Mm. Like, it's not that far away. What, conversion therapy? Not well, conversion the, therapy, but the even asylums. like men's, yeah, asylums. Oh, yeah, yeah. Traditional, well, yeah. more early tr- asylums. But they like, basically try to, t- in conversion therapy, I know that they try to turn you against everyone in your family who's ever had any kind of sin of any kind. Like, they make you do like a family tree of sin. It's like, where did, like, the, oh, you're so-and-so was an alcoholic. And like, you have to write every single person you know in your family that's had any kind of sin in their life. Um, trying to trace where it started. So where'd the gay sneak in? Right. Um, <clears throat> and, but like in the boy race, they actually like show like real things at the end. And basically the guy who was like being horrible to this kid later on came out. Wow. Who was like running the place. Oh my gosh! Because again, it's that's the only thing that drives it is that mm-hmm. like you've got you've be, you've beat these people into submission, so now they're beating other people into submission, and it's like you you're just like that's why I'm always like God. Usually, they're the most hurt people are the ones causing the most pain. Mm-hmm. Not that it makes it okay. We have got to still stand out for justice, but it's always like I think that's why Jesus turned and said, "Forgive them, for they know not what they do." Mm-hmm. Yeah, is he knew. And that's something that's always held my compass all of my life. Every time I, I feel like that injustice goes, you know, sky high. I mean, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So it's just like constantly being pushed. And I'm like, remember that scripture, Jesus knowing, knowing everything. Mm-hmm. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, oh, crap. I don't have the right to. Because, <laughs> you know, God told me years ago, he said, Jared, you always have the right to judge people's actions. You will never have the right to judge, judge people's hearts. Only I will do. Uh, only I will ever know. Mm-hmm. And at the moment you've stepped over to thinking you have the right to judge someone's heart, you are already wrong. Mm-hmm. So, Jared, I would 
really love to know have you as you've gone through this journey um what I want to know what you would say to your younger self who's in the closet internally struggling and wrestling and what would you say to others that are in the closet internally wrestling or maybe even those that are still praying like and crying out to God to I say heal them like quote unquote like heal them God, that's a really hard question. Because <laughs> I know that if I were to go to my younger self, back, if I were able to travel back in time, I, I would have been resistant to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have been like, you're wrong. Because I was so, it was my anchor mm-hmm. to hold on to. It was like, if I let go of that, I'm going to drown. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like there was such grace for me in that process. God was, God was in that fire with me, regardless of what um, the outcome was. Mm-hmm. And... Because looking back, but what I have had to do with my inner child over the years is tell him I'm sorry mm-hmm. that I didn't tell you where you were enough, that I that I kept telling you had to keep fighting, that I didn't tell you it was okay to, to rest. Like, I'm sorry that I didn't tell you mm-hmm. um, that you were enough, that I didn't stand up for you, that I didn't fight for you because I kept telling you it was okay for you to be punished because you were doing what was quote-unquote godly and right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell people that are still in the closet that he's good. And that he loves you and that his love is non-negotiable. That's something that I've talked to you before about is that I write about that in my book, but it's like I've had so many friends over the last few years come to me and say, hey, I have this friend of mine that's struggling with his theology. And I'm like, let me guess, he's gay. And so then they'll be like, but also he's gay. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I call that one. And they'll be like, will you talk to him? And so they'll they'll get on the phone. You can already tell they've already written me off. They've already written off a situation. They're just angry. Like that. There's this like they're on their last leg. They've spent twenty something years doing this, and I've seen that look in their eye. And you're talking to them, and they're telling you their whole story, and it's this broken record of like I tried everything, and I spent my years in therapy, and I spent years before the Lord praying, begging God to heal me. And I just I just I just can't I just can't understand how this can't be right. This can't be God. Like I can't I can't. Um, it can't be right. Like it just, it just can't be right. This is because of the six scriptures I've come out and, I, you know, they'll throw down at me like, you know, well, Jared, because the Bible says in Romans and in Corinthians and, um, and I will listen, I was listening to them one day, a guy was talking and he was in all of us and I was like, Lord, what do I say? Like, what do I, like, I could go a million directions. I could, I got to come bad as theology. And the Lord said, no, he needs to know that no matter what he decides, I won't change my love towards him. He needs to settle the love question first. He was like, the, he he needs to scrape away all the theology he's battling for and build the foundation of the non-negotiable love of God. Mm-hmm. Because any foundation built, whether it's in support of being gay or not in support of being gay, outside of a love of God will always be self-destructive. It will destroy itself. Because if you're believing God loves you because you're fighting for not being gay, then you will have to keep fighting to please God. Or the image you have of him. And if you believe God um, lo- only loves you because you chose to come out, the same thing. There's only one foundation, which is God isn't going to negotiate his love with me. He's not willing to. He doesn't turn his love off towards me, which means I'm safe to ask questions. I'm safe to sit in this space and go, I don't actually have the answers. And I don't have to have them figured out in order for him to love me. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's the place where we, we, we safely begin to process pain. Mm-hmm. Is when we're like, I'm, I feel safe because I know that I'm loved. 
And that is my prayer for every person who's struggling. Even if you ever use the grief me, you say, you, know, you decide I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to have, I'm going to get married and have kids. It has to be a safe place to ask questions. <sighs> Lots of good nugs here. <laughs> I'm not even charging. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I want to, you know, bring it around uh, as we're, we're chatting um, to something a slightly different, uh, which <laughs> is, uh, Jared, you are a man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a woman being. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just checked. We're good. Okay. <laughs> um, you're a man uh-huh. and um, you're also a feminist. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of stigma, mm-hmm. um, especially within the church, about mm-hmm. uh, about feminism, but also that men can't be feminists. And so to sort of round us out, um, as we talked about all of this, I want to hear a little bit about um, your heart behind that, what it means to you to be a man and to be a feminist, to be someone who is an advocate for women. Well, I like to tell, tell people all the time, I, I hate this game we're playing of trying to make women equal to men because women have never been equal to men. They've always been better than women. <laughs> always been far better than men. You're um, right here on the Woman Being Podcast. <laughs> we, we can't do how what you can do. I, I had a capacity kidney stone a few weeks ago. I thought I was going to die and you guys have babies doing that. I'm like, it's the same amount of pain. I'm like, holy cow, why would you do it again? Like, you do it once. It's, you know, I, I, gave, I gave birth to this tiny little grain. And I couldn't even name it. It was just super sad. But like, what I but I mean is like, it, it's stupid for us to not look at the beauty of creation of women. They're fascinating. They're they're depth. Men are so some of them are very flat, and women have this incredible depth to them, and this intuition that God's put in them, and this the way they see life, and the way they try to build things. And, the, and there's so many things about women. Like I was raised by a really powerful woman and my grandmother was super powerful and my dad was very insecure by being around powerful women. Mm-hmm. And he was super against women and racists and all of that stuff. And for, it's so interesting that those two go together. That they can occur in the same spot. Mm-hmm. But because it's superiority regardless of whether, yeah. you know. But I just meant like I, I never had a trouble believing women were, were better suited for most things or, or for a lot of things because I watched my mother and my grandmother be the strongest woman I've ever met that went with terrible marriages and terrible men they were married to and they continue to rise up and raise their children and and fight for their families and sit in the hard places when it was hard and it's just like my dad didn't do that then there was no man doing that it was my mother doing that and I think that's one of the reasons I am willing to sit in people's brokenness because I had it modeled for me by my mother and so I think that being a feminist means that you stand up for what is right. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a belief. It's what's right. Mm-hmm. Because being a feminist doesn't mean that we can't be fully man. It just means that we look and go, "Oh yeah, I'm not better. Mm-hmm. I'm not better. In fact, I'm in need of this part of humanity. Mm-hmm. This 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 picture of God that I can't carry." Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. Mm-hmm. And then our question that we always ask all of our guests is what does woman being need to you? So waking up in the morning, put on your makeup. I'm kidding. <laughs> Before I put on my makeup. <laughs> and that is what it means. <laughs> Gosh, it's a really hard question because I feel like I'm the outside looking in. 
Um, but I think woman being is meaning not asking for permission. Stop asking for permission. Just you're, you're a woman being like, stop fighting. Just be. Because I think that, I think women have had to fight for being. And I think that we're coming into a place, or at least prophetically, I think that we're coming into a place where we're going to see women be. And it's going to be this incredible force and authority because we've suddenly like let women loose and they've become the beings that you were always meant to be. Mm-hmm. Love oh, that's that. good stuff. <laughs> oh, and then resources. You mentioned a couple. Could you remind us that there's the movie and the book that you first read? Uh-huh. So there's the book God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. Um, he has also has lots of resources in the back of that book for other books to read. Um, super, it was just really powerful for me because he goes to the six famous scriptures and passages and argues them um, against church theology, against um, you know all that kind of stuff. And then um, the movie Boy Erased um, with uh, Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman. Um, and I can't remember the name of the guy's name, um, but you can get that online. Um, but yeah, and eventually my book will come out. Eventually Jared's book called. But did we learn to love? But did we learn to love? So keep your eyes out. Keep your eyes peeled. And uh, we want to also lastly give you a chance to plug. Where can people find you? Follow you? Oh gosh, um, Jared Patrick eighty nine on Instagram. <laughs> Um, He's got a really cute dog. I do. Yes. So that's far going, that's pretty much all you're going to see is my husband and my dog. Cute dog, cute husband. Check. Check. <laughs> what else do you in life? Yeah, yeah nothing. So. I also want to um, real quickly plug uh, the Trevor Lifeline for any people that might be out there. Um, it's okay to think thoughts, and there are people here to help you. So the number for that is 1 866 488. 7386 for any of the LGBTQ plus community out of the closet or in the closet that um, need help. Yeah, we, it's never, ever worth your life. We send you our love and we want what's best for you. So, yeah. And uh, you can follow us at Woman Being Podcast or check out our website at womanbeingcommunity.com. Thank you so much for listening. And, and thank you, Jared. Yeah, and thank you, Jared. Thank you so yeah. much for being here. <laughs> yeah, we've really enjoyed thank it. Thank you for being it's here today. Pleasure. You've been, I mean, you have just an amazing story. And I really believe that um, as you continue to share, you're going to impact lives. Absolutely. By the many. So that's it. See you guys next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>